you can probably echo this, but I, I have spent time in the jungles of Panama, also the jungles of Vanuatu. I've spent time in Haiti. Uh, I've spent time in deserts and in the mountains of South Korea. I've spent more time than I wanted to in small boats in large oceans. Uh, I've done more outdoor activities than I can really think of imagine, from road marches and with heavy packs from 12 miles to 26 miles to running races, and all of you are saying, who cares, so what? I say all of that to say one thing. I know what it's like to be thirsty, right? How many of you guys know what it's like to be thirsty? Just nobody. It's just me. I mean, come on, you've been out there, right? Thank you. Got to interact. You've been out there where you've been doing something. Maybe you've gone for whatever. You just worked up a sweat or whatever, and you're just like, you feel like you're dying of thirst, but you were so thirsty. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you should never go shopping when you're hungry, right? Like we know that, but how many of us actually do that? And you go shopping when you're hungry, you buy everything, right? And, and you come in, you're like, why don't I buy all this junk, you know? Don't go. Like, and it took me a long time. I think last year I learned this. But anyway, I, I, after one day of being really, really thirsty, I went to the store and I grabbed Gatorade. And I was like, man, I was just thinking about, man, I need like a gallon of Gatorade. I grabbed Gatorade and then there's like this big ice cold two liter Coke. I'm like, yeah, I need that too. Grab that. And then I grab a gallon of water. Now, you know, I can't drink all of that. But at that moment in time, man, I'm thinking, man, it's going to take all of this to quench my thirst. And uh, how many of you guys know that when you're really, really thirsty, only one thing really works? We used to drive down, we still drive down to Georgia, but when we used to drive down to Georgia, about an 18-hour trip, I think, man, i, I got to take caffeine and drink, you know, Coke all the way down there. And for 18 hours, I just drink Coke. By the time I got down to Georgia, man, I felt disgusting. You know, like you're laughing because you know that feeling. Where you're, you're, like your, your tongue is coated and it's like this heavy yellow and you get there and you're bloated. You're like, ah, I just feel gross. And I ate great food as well while doing that. You know, Slim Jims, those are, that, that's God's food. But anyway, but you know, you eat that. But finally we start going, you know what, I don't think this is really good for us. So we said, you know what, we're not drinking any of this junk. We're just going to drink water. And it was amazing. Water doesn't have any caffeine in it. But we drank water and I stayed awake. I got down there. I felt, started feeling pretty good. I was like, man, I still feel pretty good. But all this talk about water kind of make us thirsty, right? Who's thirsty here? Anybody thirsty? Thirsty? You are? Oh, you've got water? Who's thirsty doesn't have water? Richard. Here you go. Come on over. But because we like to overindulge, I don't want to give you one bottle of water. I want to give you two to enjoy, all right? But before you drink them, just remember, one of them I got from the pond, and I don't remember which one it is. But, um, but, well, you're going to drink them, right? You're not going to take it. There's other people who are thirsty. You so said you're thirsty. It means you've got to drink. Oh, you want to hand them away now? No? Hey, you have, only one of them is. You have a 50-50 shot. That's good odds. You going to drink one of them? No? You want to give them back to me? Tell you, the people in this church are ungrateful. I don't understand Anybody else want to drink pond water? Pond water? Pond water? Some of you guys are like, I'll do it. You guys are just like first service. I told this guy, do not volunteer, because I knew he'd just grab it and drink it no matter what. Here's the thing, though. You know what? It, it, it's interesting how, how, you know, we're thirsty and it's great, but, but source is kind of important, isn't it? Right? I mean, water is water. I could say, hey, listen, both of those are water. It's both liquid. You're thirsty. You drink either one of them. It's going to satisfy you immediately. You're going to be like, hey, that was good. But what happens if you drink pond water? 
dysentery, right? Yeah, so you know, like, you know, if you drink the wrong one, it might satisfy right now. But within a few hours, you're going to know you went to the wrong thing, right? How many of you guys ever watch the Survivor shows, right? Not Survivor, but those survival things, right? I kind of enjoy those. I'm, I'm kind of weird that way. But I was watching this one, and there was this lady, and she was thirsty. She's like, I haven't drunk in two days. And she's with this guy, and he's like, don't drink that water. And she's like, no, I've got to. I, you know, if I don't, I'm going to die. He's like, well, if you drink that, it's going to be rough. And she's like, I don't care anymore. I'm, just, I'm so thirsty. And she just grabs, she just starts just gulping this water. Within hours, she's puking and doing other things. But she's there for like two days because she went to the wrong source. How many of you guys know life can be like this? Right? Life can be like this. But here's the difference. See, see in life, we're thirsty as well. And, and it's so much beyond a physical thirst. A physical thirst is just a physical thirst. But there's a thirstiness in your soul or in your heart that we're born with. It's a thirstiness that, that kind of drives us where we get so hungry, so thirsty, whatever it may be, that we long to satisfy it. And sometimes we'll go to whatever we can to satisfy it without thinking about the consequences. See, see the big difference between the thirstiness of life and the illustration I just gave you is that majority of you would pause long enough here when I told you one was pond water. You would pause long enough because you would think about the consequences. You would think, wait a second, even though I have a 50-50 shot here, if I drink the wrong one, your mind is seeing to the future and you're going, man, this could lead to a hospital visit. It could lead to pain. It could lead to misery. And you go, I don't want that in my life. Unfortunately, when the thirstiness of life comes, too often we don't pause long enough to think about it. Too often we're so quick on our feet just to run to it and just guzzle it without, without even thinking about the consequences of what we're actually taking in. Open your Bibles with me this morning to John chapter 4, verses 3 through 18. John chapter 4, verses 3 through 18. And as we get towards this story... This thirstiness of the soul. So many times it's really a thirstiness for self-worth. It, it's, a, it's a thirstiness for acceptance. It's, it's a, a thirstiness maybe for internal peace or, or joy. Maybe it's a thirstiness for, for some kind of genuine love or a feeling of self-satisfaction or all of the above. But we become desperate. Just as you are when you're thirsty physically and you go into a store and you start grabbing everything. See, the same is true in our lives. In that desperation, in first service, when the guy said to me, well, I drink that depending on how desperate I was. And that's true in our lives. In our desperation, we should start grabbing things, hoping that one of them will fulfill the emptiness, only to find out that it doesn't. And it leads to more thirst or dysentery, or sickness. In the story we're about to read, we see a picture of Jesus' love. That his love will not be deterred by someone's reputation. That his love will not be deterred by a certain people group. 
or be hindered by some level of sin. But his love would be so personal and so intimate and so strong that he would see a lady so incredibly thirsty and broken in her life. He would see her fulfilling her life and filling her life with the wrong water from the wrong source. He would see this lady's life already erect to prove that she'd be going to the wrong things and his heart must have broken for her and he intervenes. John chapter 4 verses 3 through 18 says, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I'm going to pause there. Everything that Jesus is actually doing in this story that we're seeing played out would have been criticized by the Jews. And more fiercely by the Pharisees, more fiercely by the super spiritual godly people. Everything that he was doing was basically a no-no. And to understand that, we need to dig into a little bit of their history for just a brief moment. See, to go from Judea to Galilee meant passing through the central territory called Samaria. Most Jews did everything that they could possibly do to avoid doing that. They did not like to pass through Samaria. They would divert and they would go around. The reason for this is because Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. And this this feud, at this point in time, was well over 400 years old. Think about that. A feud, a hatred that's lasted 400 years. We don't associate with those people. We don't talk to those people. And so the Jews felt this way about the Samaritans. They, Samaritans were Jews that had intermarried and were considered now impure, okay? They were considered impure. They, they, they considered to have betrayed God. 
by varying often, so they wouldn't even associate with them. They wouldn't talk with them. And so Jews should not go near Samaria. They shouldn't even, they should definitely not talk to Samaritans. So right from the beginning, we see Jesus already breaking these preconceived molds of who God loves. And he goes into Samaria. It happened to be the shortest route. Then beyond that, we find him sitting at this well, and he's talking to a Samaritan. That's the second one. You do not associate with Samaritans. To make things worse, ladies, get ready for this. This wasn't just a Samaritan. This was a woman. I was supposed to get a better response than that. All right. All right. And I'm sorry, ladies. This is, my, this is just what. But to be a woman back then was not good so much. Do you know that, 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 that the rabbis um, used to get so strict on this, right? In fact, rabbis were not allowed, they, they tried not to greet their own women in public. Other Jew ladies, they wouldn't, they wouldn't greet. They wouldn't even greet their own wives or their own daughters or their own sisters in public. They wouldn't speak to them in public, all right? In fact, they were, they were Pharisees or rabbis known as the, bleed, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they were so intent on to, to not to associate with women at all that they would see a lady coming down the street and they would close their eyes and keep walking. And they would walk into things. This is why they were called the bruised and bleeding. So understand, back in these days, here's the context of this setting, all right? Here's the setting. Here are all these barriers that Jesus is breaking, all right? He's talking to a Samaritan. All right, that's the no-no. He's talking to a woman, not a Jewish woman, a Samaritan woman, which is even worse. And to make these even worse, this lady had a very poor reputation. All right, this was the kind of lady who had very loose morals. All right, she's the kind of lady that when she walks to the room, the other ladies would hide their husbands. All right. This is, this is what we're dealing with right here, all right? They would hide their husbands. She was like a man-eater. She just was, she just, and this is her reputation. Now, understand all of these barriers that are in play here. And we need to understand this to understand how strong God's love is. The one only highlights the other. Don't get hung up on, I can't believe they felt this way about women. Forget all that. It just highlights God's love. That's what we're looking at, all right? Now, to understand a little bit more about this story is it's interesting how in Scripture it tells us that Jesus sits by the well and it's noontime, right? The reason why that's important is because it highlights the time of day that this lady is coming to this well. That was not the normal time of day to come and draw water. You would come when you would think, earlier in the morning and in the evening to draw water, not the middle of the day. So we already have this lady who's coming to a well in the middle of the day, and she's coming to a well that's further away from the city and from the town where she lives than the other wells. There were wells closer up. But this tells us something about her. Not only was she an outcast because she was a Samaritan, she was an outcast from the outcasts. The Samaritans didn't even like her. The Samaritans didn't want to have anything to do with her. The Samaritans, the reason why she's coming to this well at that point in time is because she wants to avoid all contact with other people. 
She doesn't want to go through the grief. She doesn't want to go through the abuse. She doesn't want people hiding their kids or hiding their husbands and looking at her with disgust as they would have looked at her. And so she finds herself coming in the middle of the day. She finds herself going further away. And here she is at this well, this outcast, this immoral lady that everyone despised. The Jews despised. Her own people despised her. And here's this beautiful picture. The holiest of holies sitting at a well next to the most rejected of most rejected people, having a conversation and reaching out to her. That is a beautiful picture. In what Jesus does here was the launch of the spreading of the gospel beyond the Jews. He broke so many boundaries. Do you understand that that any of your prejudices that you might have against people groups or people or even people who, 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 who do things immorally and go, well, God doesn't even love all of those cannot stand in the light of this scripture. Jesus says, hey, listen, look at what he's doing. That is to show us, man, he stops at nothing to reach people. And there is no sin that's too far beyond him. There's no people group that he doesn't like or love. There's no boundaries he won't break. There's, not, no, there's no criticism that he won't endure. There's no cross he won't take on his shoulders to reach those, to set them free and to love them. And so here's this amazing picture. And that should be a challenge to us, man, because you know as we are, well, I don't know. That, that, those people, man, they're so far from God or, or they're so, they live this way and I can't stand it. I don't know. No. Well, that people group, I don't like that culture. I don't like, it doesn't stand it does not stand. And so here is this amazing picture. Not only would Jews be amazed by this story and surprised by this story, but honestly, this Samaritan woman, she's surprised by what's happening. Note her words. Her words are basically this to Jesus. You're a Jew. How is it that you want to drink from me? And then Jesus gets right to the point. What I love about this is Jesus was not there by coincidence. Jesus didn't happen to stumble. Jesus was there intentionally. Jesus wanted this meeting with her. Last week we talked about how Jesus goes after that lost sheep. Jesus seeks after those who have strayed away from him and those who have never been on his path because he hits his will that none should perish. And so he finds them in the remotest places, in the cliffs, in their danger, in their peril. And he reaches out to them. It's up to them to take his hand, but he puts himself there. And here we see not just a parable about this, but we see an actual life event that really happened. Here Jesus is enduring the criticism, the scorn, the shame of all of this to reach someone. And so she says, how is it that you can even ask me for a drink? And Jesus says this to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, you don't even know what's before you right now. If you only knew, and see, he's thinking so beyond the physical, he's thinking about where she is internally, the hurt, the brokenness, the shame, and he sees her in her thirst, right? He sees her in her desire that she's fulfilling with relationships and men, trying to find some kind of satisfaction. And he's standing before her saying, if you only knew that the real quench to your inner thirst is right before you, if you really knew that, if you only knew that, you would ask me, 
and I would quench your thirst in such a way that you would never thirst again. Of course, she can't get her mind beyond the physical, and she's like, you don't have anything to draw water with. How are you possibly going to get water? And then Jesus says this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What he's saying is, man, he says, when I give you water, when you come to me as your source, when I become the one that you drink from, not only will you be satisfied and your thirst quenched, but inside of you will start an internal water source. Because I will live and I will dwell in you. And that internal source will bubble up inside of your life and will continue to flow for eternity. It'll never go away. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to come out of this stupid well. doesn't say that, but that's what she's thinking, right? That's what she's thinking. She's like, give me this water because I'm sick and tired. It's noon. I don't want to come out here anymore day after day. Give me the water that just keeps on coming. And then if you're reading the story at face value, you maybe feel like, why does Jesus change the story? But the reality is he doesn't. She suddenly recognizes that what she's doing isn't working and that what he offers is what she wants. It's that point of recognition. She's like, okay, I need what you have. I'm ready to turn from this. Give me this water. And all of a sudden, Jesus says something kind of strange. Go get your husband. Okay, where is this? See, what he's doing is he's going right to the real source. What he's saying is, I can see into your life. I know what you're filling and what you're feeding yourself internally to try and satisfy that thirst that you have. And so I'm going to get right to your well. What he says to her is, go get your well. Go get your satisfaction. Go get your joy. Go get that thing that you think is feeding you and helping you. Go get your husband. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. And then he basically reads her diary. He says, yeah, that's right. You've been married so many times, the one that's with you right now isn't even your husband. And she's astonished. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. You'll have to read it on yourself. All right? But I want to talk about that right now. Jesus brings immediately to the surface where she's going. Source matters, doesn't it? Source matters. Water from a pond or water from a toilet is different than water from a spring. It looks the same, but has different consequences on your life. And so for this lady, Jesus seeks her out. He sees her in her brokenness. He sees where she's struggling. He sees that she's been going to this well. She has this need for self-worth, whatever it may be, that keeps her running to men and to relationships. And she's been through five men so far, and she keeps going back to the same broken well, and the results are the same. It is not working for her, but it's all she knows, and she's so desperate, she keeps coming back and coming back, and she carries the scars of a broken well. I tell this story this morning for one reason, and that's because I believe that God wants me to, and he wants me to because he has brought people into this place this morning who are honestly just like that Samaritan woman. 
He's brought people into this place who honestly are going to other well sources. They're going to the wrong source because internally they are trying so desperately. There's a thirst inside of their lives that is so overwhelming and so strong. They are so desperate, whether it's for self-worth or self-fulfillment or for whatever it may be, uh, for joy, for peace, that they are trying everything that they possibly can and they are running from one well to another or maybe they have multiple wells that they're going to. And I believe that God wants me to preach this because he is sitting on the well next to you. And he's sitting next to the well next to you not to condemn you, but to identify that you're going to the wrong places for fulfillment and for satisfaction and for help. Just as he says to that lady, he says, go get your husband. He says, man, go get your source because your source is broken. And she actually goes, well, yeah. And she actually confesses that her source is broken. See, for some of us here this morning, our source may not be men. It may not be relations. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's women. Maybe that source, or maybe, that, maybe, it's, maybe it's money. Maybe inside of you, inside of that, 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 that thirst that you've got, you're so desperate that you've got to have money. Somehow you're convinced that, that money will somehow satisfy you or make you happy. But honestly, you already have money and it hasn't done anything for you yet. And I can promise you, it won't do anything for you because you will never have enough. And for some of you, maybe it's not money, maybe it's status, maybe it's a career, maybe it's position. And, and man, if I can only get to this position, then I'll have some kind of self-worth or self-value. And if I can get to this and achieve this, maybe it'll shut all the criticism around me and then I'll feel good about myself. But you will never get there, no matter what title you have. Some of you are so sick and tired of trying that you've gone from this idea of happiness or whatever it may be to more of the temporal thing and now you're shifting to drugs because now it's not so much about a long period of happiness. If I can just be happy for tonight, if I can just get some kind of high. And so you start abusing prescription drugs, you start abusing illegal drugs and all of a sudden it becomes about chasing this high because if I can just get to this high, at least for that moment, I know there's a down afterwards, but at least for that moment I feel okay. And for some it's alcohol. Because you just want to wash it all away. Maybe it just numbs the pain. Maybe it numbs everything. Maybe, maybe that's become your source. And for some of you, maybe it's all of these things. And maybe you're running from one thing to another. But in the end, the dysentery that you have just looks a little bit different than the dysentery of drinking pond water. But in the end, you find yourself broken. You find yourself empty. You find yourself struggling. You find yourself going nowhere. And it's because of the love of God that he brings you to this place this morning and he wants to have a conversation with you. And you too may be saying, but man, God, I don't even know why I'm here because if God only knew my life, if God knew how bad a sinner I was, if God knew how messed up I was, and, 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 and why, would he, why would he even talk to me? Maybe you echo the words of that Samaritan woman where she goes, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. What are you even doing talking to me? Let me tell you, the whole reason this is in Scripture is for you. Because he wants to answer your question with that. He's basically saying, no. No matter what other people say, no matter how rejected you may feel, I'm not the one who rejects people. People are the one who reject me. And his hand is always open. 
The rejection that comes will not be the rejection from Christ. It will be the rejection from you or the rejection from me. He's not waiting for you to become righteous and holy. He just comes. And see, what he does is sometimes it's a painful process. I mean, he goes right to the meat of the source, right? He goes right to this, the fact that, hey, this lady is dealing with men. That's her thing. You know what? When you identify problems in your life, it's painful. We like to bury them. We don't like to bring them to the surface. If I have an addiction, I don't want anybody to know about it. If I have a problem or an issue, I want nobody to know about it. But see, the problem with God is he wants to dig it up. We don't like that. Man, if I could just, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. But here's the thing. When you go to the dentist, you get a cavity filled. There's that little lovely tool called a drill that we all love, right? All right? How many of you go, just, can you just fill my teeth without the drill? Right? Right. I'm with Joyce. Like, yeah, fill my teeth out there. But you know what? And honestly, this is also true with concrete. I didn't even realize this. I was watching Arnold fix this concrete wall. And he took this chisel. And it looked like he was chiseling away good concrete. I was like, Arnold, what are you doing? Like, like, and he knows what he's doing. Who am I to question him? He's been doing this for, for 50 years. It's like, what are you doing? He goes, so when He goes, I have to chisel away the bad concrete before I put good concrete on top of it. A dentist has to drill out the rot in your tooth before he or she fills it. Why? If you fill over rot, it's still going to rot. If you patch over concrete, it's still going to crumble underneath. And so that chiseling is important. And because God loves you, he digs into your life to bring out to the surface what the real problem is, not to condemn you. But until you recognize it, you can't release it. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so you identify, yes, this is an issue. This is where I turn. This is my crutch. This is my source. This is my well that I go to. That's why it says, go get your husband. Maybe for you, he's saying, go get your bottle of booze. Maybe he's saying, go get your drugs. Maybe he's saying, go get, your, you, go get your, all, all of your status and, and, and your degrees, or go get your title, or go get your career, or go get your bank account. Let me tell you something. You can have no money, you can have no status, and you can be the happiest person on earth because happiness and joy doesn't come from consequences or circumstances. It comes from knowing Jesus Christ, and only he can fill you inside. And you're clapping because you know what I'm talking about. Because have you going, I'm so broke, I can't do anything, but man, God's good to me. And that's where it comes from. And so when God identifies things, and so right now he is looking at you and he's saying, hey, I want to have a conversation with you. And the enemy, Satan, tries to come and say, God hates you. He's trying to identify all the bad stuff in you, and he hates you because of this. And God says, no, let's talk. I want you to know that I died already for your alcoholism. I died already for your addiction. I've died already for your pride. I've died already for your emptiness. And if you will just give it to me, let me tell you, I will take it from you and I will give you joy. And what I mean by joy is I don't mean I will give you a life where all your problems just disappear. Because we know serving God isn't like that. See, God has us live life because our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. If I, all our problems disappeared when we became Christians, then we'd all become Christians not because of the relationship with God, but because we want to have no problems in our life. It wouldn't be anything about love. It would be about what I could get from God. And God's all about relationship. He wants relationship. How many of you want your kids to love you because of what you can give them? No. See, we get this as parents. We want our kids to love us. 
because they love us, not because I give them money or I do this for them. I want them to want to spend time with me because they want to spend time with me, not because I do things for them. And so your problems don't necessarily go away, but God says, listen, I am with you. I am with you. When you go to God as your source, when your problems come, you can stand on the scripture that says, if my God is for me, then who can possibly be against me? And you can walk in that. So here's a story, and this story is for you. And to get back to where I was going, man, I know that God has brought some of you here this morning because this is you. I don't say that from a self-righteous point of view because, honestly, it was all of us. I don't stand behind this pulpit because I'm holy enough or spiritual enough or somehow good enough. I can only stand behind this pulpit or this music stand because I have a gracious God and that I am saved and set free and made righteous not, by, righteous, not by my own actions, by his shed blood. That's the only reason I can stand. It's the only reason any Christian can. As I come to Jesus Christ, as I get closer to him in the light, and I've said this a thousand times in this church, but I feel like it's important. When I get closer to God, the more I see myself for who I am. And the more I don't like. Some of these Christians who get closer to God and they become more self-righteous and more holy... I don't think they're really getting close to God. Lori has one of these horrible mirrors, all right? It's a mirror that has a light around it, and it magnifies. Don't ever use those things, all right? Just don't. They're horrible. I made the mistake of going, check this thing out. Flip the light on. That's a mistake. And then I go, and I'm going, oh, God, help me. Like, what is that thing? Right? Like, this is like this. Can we start over? Can we do something? Because when you look in the light and you look in the mirror, it magnifies your imperfections, right? Even scripture says, man, when you look in the mirror, you look in the mirror, you don't go, ah, that looks good. We're just going to go with that. You look in the mirror and you go, yeah, I don't know. We're going to fix this, do something that, do whatever you're going to do because you're going to fix it, right? See, as I get closer to God, I get more into his light. As I get into the light, I begin to see things in me that God identifies not to condemn me, but to set me free from them. And it's a lifelong process. I will never be holy enough to enter heaven by myself. So as I draw close to God, God identifies these things and he does it in you. So when he begins to identify and you feel convicted for it, understand this is a healing process that God wants to set you free from. Some of you are here this morning because God wants to have that conversation with you. And God wants to have that conversation with you because you are going to the wrong sources. You're going to wells that are broken. You're drinking from water that's contaminated. And you keep drinking it in and drinking it in and coming back and asking the same old questions. What's wrong? How come this keeps happening in my life? Why don't I feel happy? Where's my joy? And God's saying to you, it's because you keep going to the wrong source. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Can our prayer team come up and join me at the front? This is what I want to do. In order for God to do anything in your life, you must first recognize. Right now, will you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Would you just begin to ask God what that source is in your life that you keep going to? Would you begin to ask God to identify it? What is it that you keep running to to try and make you feel happy about yourself, satisfied with yourself, 
peace with yourself, joy, whatever. Would you ask God, and when he begins to put his finger on it, please don't do what you all want to do and what I like to do. Push it back down. Defend it. Justify it. And pretend it's not really an issue. When God puts his finger on it, let him bring it to the surface. Instead of arguing with him, lay it before him and say, God, forgive me. This has been my source. This has been my hope. This has been my joy. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to heal the wounds that I have from this. And I want you to become my source. And if you'll do that, for some of you, and I've seen this happen overnight, he breaks addictions. He breaks bondage just like this. He brings healing. And for others, it's a bit of a process that he walks you through. He takes you by the hand. But if you will surrender that source to him and recognize him as the real source, he will come into your life. He will heal you. He will set you free. And you can walk with him for eternity. And in you, as he promised that lady, there will be a well, a spring that builds up inside of you that keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. Do you want that? All your heads bowed, all eyes closed. This is between you and God. If you want that this morning, raise your hand. There's a lot of hands. There's a whole lot of hands. See, when Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, she's like, okay, give me this water. Give me this water. Now let God do business with you. I can't do it. Only he can. I want to pray a prayer with you. Right, And I'm going to pray like we did at communion. If you've never accepted Christ and you want to, say this with me and believe in your heart. Then I want to ask you, if you do that, come and just share with the prayer leader up here. All right, Just so we can walk with you. We're not counting heads. We just want to walk with you. If you're here this morning and you're sick and you're hurting, come and join up here with these prayer members. If you're here this morning, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but sometimes you've got to this point now where you think maybe you've been distracted by another well. And you've walked away from God trying to find, find fulfillment in some other well, and now God's showing that to you and you want to come back to him. Then come up here and just pray. You can respond at your pews. You can respond up here. But the most important thing, will you respond to God? And before I pray, the last thing I want to say is this. As Christians, God has told us to go out and find those who are broken and who are hurting. God has told us to be the Christ who sits down next to a well that won't let a people group or won't let someone's reputation or won't let a certain sin keep us or hinder us from taking that gospel of him to them so that they might find life. Our lives should never look the same. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. God, I thank you for a love so amazing that I can't even fathom it. I can't fathom putting one of my children on a cross in place of somebody else. I couldn't fathom or understand a love so strong, yet that's the love that you have for each one of us. God, I thank you for every life that you've brought into this place this morning. God, I thank you that just as that Samaritan came to that well, 
Lord Jesus, you know the hearts of every person in here. God, you know the sources that they're going to for fulfillment, for help, for satisfaction. And God, I pray even now that you'd begin to identify those sources for them. And as you identify them, God, that you would give them the courage to admit them and to give them to you and exchange them for real life, for a real source, for pure water. And God, in doing so, would you set them free? God, I pray that you would break every bondage. God, I pray that you would deliver every addiction. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal every scar and every hurt and every memory, Lord God. God, in every, every life that has no self-esteem and, and has so little self-value and self-worth, God, would you heal that? God, would you show them how important and how loved they are and the value that they have because you love them and you created them. God, would you empower them? Would you give them joy unspeakable, Lord God? And would you give them victory in every area of their life? Now, as I pray this prayer, if you haven't accepted Christ and you want to, just just agree with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me, for coming to this world to carry my sin and my shame. This morning, I give you every, every well and every source that I've gone to that I've tried to replace you with. Would you take them from me? Would you forgive me for them, for all my sins? And would you come in as my only source and my God? In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open. As we close in worship, we love you. Respond to God. And all who are thirsty, and all who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life, let the pain and the sorrow be washed away. Waves of your mercy, as deep cries out to deep, we sing, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus. And all who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life, let the pain and the sorrow be washed away. The waves of his mercy as deep cries out to deep we sing come.
Come to the fountain, make your heart in the stream of life. Let the pain and the sorrows be washed away in the waves of his mercy as deep cries out to we sing, come Lord Jesus, come, come Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Let the pain and the sorrows be washed away in the waves of His mercy as deep cries out to deep. We sing, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, oh, come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, come, and Holy Spirit. Spirit come, and Holy Spirit come, and come, Lord Jesus, come, fill our hearts, O oh Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. you come Lord Jesus come as deep cries out to deep we need you Lord we need you Lord there is no one like you there is no one like you God one like you, Holy Spirit, come. 
Jesus. 